It's easy to get lost. This is The Revenue Maze, and I'm Valerie Cobb. Join me as we navigate the halls, dead ends, and U-turns on your path towards upward growth trajectory. The Revenue Maze is sponsored by Revenue North Star, guidance and execution through fractional revenue leadership, uncovering hidden revenues, and empowering small business growth through process-driven sales customized to your company environment. All right. I am so excited today. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Revenue Maze. I have a great guest, and I just, he's fascinating to me. He always tells me he's not an adrenaline junkie, but you guys can decide that. He's from skydiving to scuba diving, all of that fun stuff. But I think there's a little bit of adrenaline in there for sure. And he literally was one of the youngest entrepreneurs that I've ever met at age eight. He used to smuggle. (laughs) I use that word because it's so fun. He used to smuggle firecrackers across the border. I think it was France. I think it was France. Anyways, across the border. Because who checks an eight-year-old's backpack and he would go sell them. So, I I mean, just very much an entrepreneur. He did suffer eight years of pain in marketing and he understands what they've gone through, which has totally led him to be CEO of Metadata.io. Welcome, Gil Alouche. I'm so excited. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, this is, this is. This is going to be a fun show. So we always start, like I told you, we always start with um, the audience wants to hear your thoughts on what is one thing that you can tell them to help you get, help them get out of the revenue maze. And don't tell me firecrackers smuggling across the. (laughs) (laughs) Getting out of the revenue maze. So um, I think the one that I, the the one thing I always, uh, I always come back to is get started, not make, you know, lead with action. So if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a founder and you're stuck, you haven't started the company yet, but you've been wanting to, or you started and it's kind of getting, you know, it's, it's, it's getting slower. Um, I always tell, and, and I have a few companies that I advise to, to move into the action lane. Uh, just obsess about it, put 200% of your time into it. And, um, you know, if you show up every morning and you work on it 200%, I guarantee things will happen. Magic will happen. All the things that you, you hope for will start happening, but you have to move into that mindset and move away from the thinking and concerns and fear. And um, that's, that's usually gets you, gets you on the wrong path. So that's, that's, that will be my one, my one thing. Get in the action lane. I love it. So give us some tips on how you've done that, you know, because it's easy to say, give 200% and be active and lead by action and all this kind of stuff. But a lot of people feel that that's pretty daunting. And, you know, so give us a few pointers. Yeah, I can give you a few examples. So um, some of them are more, uh, how do I say more, more appropriate one of them, some of them are less. So I'll start with the appropriate one. When I started the, the company, Actually, I, I wanted to start it, but I couldn't. I couldn't muster the courage to put on LinkedIn that I am a founder of a startup because the moment that you do that, I, I don't know about others, but at least for me, I was very nervous. Everyone's going to look at me and say like, oh, Gil, congrats. 
now what? You know, they're going to look what? every day, every week, <laughs> every month. They're going to ask me, how is the company going? Is it going well? Do you have customers? Did you raise money? And I'm going to tell them like, no, none of those things, you know, it takes forever. So I didn't do any of those things yet. Um, but there was a meeting I was invited to, to speak about marketing with a bunch of marketers. It was Bessemer Ventures um, event in which I was invited to speak to CMOs. And I was talking about the, the, the decade I spent as a marketer and the methodology I came up with to, to do experimentation in marketing and how it led me to a successful career as a marketer. And there were so many hands being raised and questions and people interested and, and asking me like, you know, what is it? Like, can we work with you? And then I realized, shit, I have like, you know, a lot of my, my potential customers are here and they, they want to work with me. And so I told them, you know, by the way, I started a company around that. And actually, if you want to work with me, I'm, I'll be more than happy to, to, to set some, some time with you. But if you looked at, actually at my LinkedIn back then, it didn't show anything like that. So literally, literally in that coffee break of that meeting, I went quickly to a sofa and I opened my computer and I went, logged into LinkedIn and I, I did the new <laughs> position, founder, stealth startup, clicked OK. And that was that moment where I, I took the courage and said, I'm doing it and I'm doing it now. I'm not going to be judged and I don't care. This is going to be the, the moment in which I'm moving from the thinking about it to doing it. That That's a great story. And I think that courage is one of the hard. Yeah. I mean, what is it? I, I love Brene Brown where she talks about courage, right? And and I forgot at the beginning to, to tell the audience that you really, what, you've lived in 35 countries? I haven't lived. I traveled to thirty-five. I traveled in, to thirty-five uh, countries. How many? How many countries have you lived in? Only three. Only three. I mean, but, four if you, if you include the five months in, in India. I guess you, you can. You can. I was going to say. I I remember it being more than just one location, which takes courage in and of itself, but also just the fact that um, in certain cultures, everybody you're either in the military for a couple of years, you're in those kinds of things. So most people um, know that I, 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 I kind of a, and I don't hate me for it, but I'm a Jocko Willink fan who was a Navy SEAL and he wrote the book, Extreme Ownership, right? And um, kind of buttoning up with Brene Brown, she talks about vulnerability being the first step to courage, right? You always exhibit vulnerability and then you have this courage that you take and then that action happens, right? And I've always thought about that. And you're talking about being in that, that moment where it's like, it's almost like I either do this or I don't, you know, and getting that, that courage up to say, yep, this is what I am, you know, and now you're in action lane and it's like, okay, I'm in this action lane. I am going to keep going. It it's is, happening. Yep. It's happening. <laughs> I, I love that. And uh, definitely, because I said already, you're an adrenaline junkie, I, you know, it probably has been quite a ride for you too. You know? Yeah, it has. Uh, and by the way, I'm also a big fan of Jocko. Um, it, it has been a ride. Uh, one of the best things about when I started a company, I was just having a conversation with, with, uh, with some of my team about, about the future of the company. And I was telling them that when I started it, my limiting thoughts made me think about it in a fairly 
small way because I think for many people, unless they see, unless they have a personal example from like a family member or really close friends that they made it really big, they have no idea what it means. You know, I, I remember um, after the military service, I, I worked at a company and I was working as a, I was working as a computer uh, programmer, but in a robotics manufacturing uh, site. And I was fairly young. I was like 22, 23 years old. So the friends I had were actually mostly the workers of that of that uh, manufacturing facility, uh, you know, like the, the logistics people, like they were, they were yeah. my friends. And uh, I was trying to convince this dude who was a good friend of mine to go to university versus buy a car. Like he was saving money. And, and I was like, go to fucking university, excuse the <laughs> language. Like go to university. Please, please, please. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I know. And uh, it was like, why would I go to university? I don't know anyone who went to the university and, and, you know, didn't just waste their money. They're still working in such and such. I told him, but you could be the one, you know, like there are millions of examples. And uh, I, I say that because when I started the company, the only example I knew was a friend who started a company, got it to a, you know, modest, like a couple million dollar revenue and sold it and then did it over and over. And that's how I thought the brightest future looks like. But one of the cool things about starting a company that is, there's a lot of adrenaline in it, is to realize that the possibilities of your dreams are much wider. You can, you can achieve so much more. If you believe in yourself and you work hard and you commit to it and you're in that action lane, you can do unbelievable things and, and it'll work. Things will work out. Uh, if you don't quit, things will work out. And um, that's, that's been one of the biggest learning like uh, for me, managing that internal psyche and getting, you know, get, getting on with, with all the challenges and bypassing them and then keep growing as a person, keep growing as an entrepreneur, as a leader. It sounds such a cliche when I hear myself now talking about those things, but it, it is true. <laughs> this, to me, that is like, that is the biggest reward of this startup because it's, it has been my personal growth lab uh, for the past seven years, six, seven years. And it's such a blessing that I wouldn't, I don't think I would have the opportunity to grow that way if, if it wasn't for the company. I love that you said growth lab. And I loved that you said self-limiting beliefs, because I think, um, you know, we talk about the show being the revenue maze, but some of the challenges with revenue and whether we talk about it in light of streams of revenue coming in um, through a growth phase or whatever we want to talk about revenue in light of, it, it does boil down to basically forecasting what you can do. And if you have if you have limiting beliefs, sometimes you undershoot just as much as you overshoot. I'm not a big, you know, I have people who say, well, we want accuracy. We don't want to, um, we don't want to shoot over and we don't want to shoot under. And I, and I, I was like, that's very, it's kind of limiting to me, right? Absolutely. It's absolutely uh, and, I, and I've always wondered, well, you know, because we're shooting for accuracy. No, I, I totally get that, but I don't think you ever bound things, right? I mean, you bound them for the moment of time. Like if we talk about the snapshot in time, right? This is what we want to achieve by this time or whatever. But why wouldn't you just celebrate that it was even better than you thought it would be? You know, or I, yeah. the data, the data said it would be, or you know, I will tell you why. I think it comes from, from what I can tell, 
And I agree, I think it's completely limiting. I mean, it's just like when you shoot for, you know, you shoot for a billion, you either made it to the billion or you fell to 500 million. But if you shoot for a hundred million, the most, it's like, I was just telling, uh, I was just telling my wife, you know, like when I do, I'm, I'm, you know, when I do a workout, if I think I'm going to do 30 pushups, then I'm going to do 30 pushups max, you know, and yeah. I'm feeling good about it, but it's like, why not 50? You know, if I try to do 50, then maybe I do 50, maybe I do 45, maybe I do 41, but it's definitely going to be more than 30. And uh, the, I think the reason the accuracy comes is because of, I think it's my guess, because of the stock market, you know, people want to have a good idea of how a company wants to perform and they can make money either by uh, longing or shorting it, right? They can say it's going to do better or going to do worse. And based on their bet, they're going to make money. Whether the company crashes and burns, if that's how they predicted the company is going to go, they're going to make a lot of money. But that's public company, like, you know, 10,000 people company, not startups. With a startup, I think you need to, of course, be realistic, but not too realistic. You definitely have to have a crazy goal in mind, do the best you can to achieve that goal. And if you fall, you fall short of that star versus you short, you know, you, you get to like a not very interesting goal to begin with. Exactly. My mother used to, well, I don't know if it was my mom or if it was something uh, I got to qualify that. I'm not sure where I got it, but it was around that time period. But there was a thing that's like, hey, it's better to shoot for the stars and miss than shoot for a pile of manure and hit. Right. Yes. I mean, <laughs> at some point, I like that. And um, at some point, it, I, I do find, because I'm fortunate, I get to interview a lot of different leaders of companies at different um, stages in their life cycles of their companies. Right. And, um, I think fear and self limiting beliefs sometimes cause a lot more problems than people think. Right. And, and the energy in the universe comes back to that. Right. You know, if you think you're going under, you're going under, I mean, we're talking about recessions right now, but if people forget, people forget that even in the global depression of the 30s, there were industries that were actually excelling. So we all focus on the limiting belief. Right now with the recession, I, you know, it's the, I don't want to buy a house right now because, you know, next year it might be X, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of looking over the lifespan, especially in the United States, the lifespan of a mortgage for a house is 30 years. A lot can happen. So unless you're in the real estate, like market, like a developer or some of those things where you're really doing that, you've got a lot of people that are going, Oh, I can't do this right now. Yet they're missing out on so many great opportunities because we're hearing the word recession. And we're also hearing the word, the great resignation. Well, what does that mean? That means a lot of job opportunities are out there too, right? I mean, I, I, I million percent, I, <laughs> I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. You know, I have, I have a, a friend who, who is starting a company um, and he was talking about recession. I told him like, Please Google for a second companies that started in recession because the biggest, most successful companies in the world started during a recession. There is no better opportunity. Many times it starts out of necessity, like there's yeah. a recession, you can't find a job, so you're creating a job. Sure, that might be, might be the actual story, but 
The truth is in a recession, there are a million opportunities. There are things that, you know, it's like all bullshit is aside. Like suddenly the truth comes out, you know, in a recession, like what is actually needed? You know, there is no like crazy valuations and insane investments coming through. Like you actually have to build a business that is fundamentally extremely healthy. And guess what? When the market is back, now you're... Now you're a super strong company in a thriving economy. Now you're gonna boom. You're gonna now the rocket ship is going to happen even further. So I absolutely think that recession. I truly think that recession is the best time to start a company. Those hard times are the best time to differentiate yourself because ninety nine percent of the population is gonna go one way, and you're gonna be that unique person who goes and and finds opportunity in that adversity. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's amazing. And so this sort of led you, you talked about eight years <laughs> of hard, hard, we call it, uh, what do we want to call that? Uh, I don't know. I always say marketers, it's the insatiable beast. So <laughs> marketing is the insatiable beast. And so you banged your head up the against the wall you're a glutton for punishment um so what how did you start dealing let's talk about that a little bit and start dealing and building a company metadata.io what, what yeah let's talk you know, about it when i think about it uh i was i was just referring to it this week it was kind i think marketing many times and maybe particularly b2b marketing is all, especially today, is a little bit like a bait and switch. You know, people go to marketing thinking Don Draper for Mad Men. And then, <laughs> you know, they start their job and they realize, well, this is no Don Draper for Mad Men. This is no whiskeys, you know, in the middle of the day and like showing cool presentation. This is more like A-B testing a subject line, you know, seven times and changing UTM tags a thousand times and getting into Google AdWords and Facebook and attribution and, and 17 different applications. And that was my life as a marketer. That was my life. And it was funny because I moved into marketing because I, uh, you know, post my MBA, I needed to pay my MBA. And so I, that was a good job that I had, I found in Boston. And I thought that I'm going to be doing like cool marketing campaigns all day. And that was not at all what I was ended up doing. I, I ended up running a lot of email campaigns and buying data and moving data around and doing analytics. And for me, it was cool because I'm a technical person and I'm a software engineer. So I enjoy the technical part of the work, the automation and, and the scientific part of the work. It was for me, it was, it was amazing. I actually realized I have a competitive advantage. And I also realized that for the rest of the marketer, marketer friends that I have, they're hating it, you know? Mm -hmm. They really don't like doing it. They're hiring consultants and agencies and anyone they can find, even programmers, to do some of that growth work for them. And that's when I realized there is a huge opportunity. Like, uh, there is an insane opportunity where what's possible from a technology point of view and what's available today from a marketing software, that gap is insane. Like, that, the technology, the machine learning models, robotic process automations, operating software via RESTful API instead of point and clicking a thousand times, that is available, but is unused. And actually no one tackled it. Uh, no one, it's such a, it's a beast to try to fix it. So yeah. it's not gonna be like three months of development and, and bam, you have like a company. It's more like three years and now you only have, you have a foundation of a technology. Yeah. Uh, but it seemed like, a, it seemed like an opportunity that if I didn't jump on, I would forever regret it. So 
it was definitely uh, that was the driver truly like th that gap but what is possible and no one is doing it was was the driver to do it and i knew that there is so much frustration out there from marketers who are doing technical repetitive mundane tasks over and over and over every day and not liking it that's mm -hmm. the vast majority of marketers so if you solve if you solve that that for them and they move to doing creative work you know, content work, inspirational work that they signed up for, or they thought they, thought they signed up for when they went to marketing, then you win their hearts uh, and you also <laughs> win their budgets. <laughs> I like that. Okay, it's a firecrackers in the backpack again. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, but they go. <laughs> no, I, I totally get it because, you know, as a, as a CRO, you end up over so many facets of revenue and, uh, we've definitely hired marketers and they don't like that part of it. They don't, they don't like that. You and know, you know, there's yeah. also sometimes this uh, tension you're, you're, you're talking about CRO. I remember one of the sales uh, leaders I worked with Jeff Lunsford, a mm. great guy from Atlanta. He and I, at first, you know, when we start working together, there was this marketing and sales tension, you know, like, but I realized fairly quickly that, my entire job surrounds around Jeff. If I give Jeff pipeline that he can close to revenue, everyone is happy. And I get, you know, I get, I get to be successful at my job. And so fairly fast, I remember there was this one meeting we had in, in, in Vegas. We went, we went to Vegas to some trade show and we decided to like have a burger together. That burger turned out to be like, you know, eight beers and, and whiskey shots. And we realized quickly that we're in the same exact boat that both of us will fail miserably uh, if we have this tension. And on the, on the opposite side, if we sit next to one another and I show him everything I do and he gives me feedback on it and I execute well and he closes that, then we're both superstars. And that's exactly what happened. And, uh, and that could be the case for every B2B marketer and every VP of marketing and VP of sales. And I can tell you, at least, at least in metadata, the VP of sales and VP of marketing are besties and they have a lot of trust and and they work together in in such a nice harmony and i think that should be the case for every b2b company out there it, it absolutely should be it closes the loop there you know i it, there's times when i'm like there's two there's three things that typically i will want i i sometimes i get called and it's like we just want to throw a sales team at it so then i'm like okay First of all, where's your PR? Because <laughs> it's really hard to sell upstream when the brand is unknown, right? Absolutely. Then what's your marketing? What's, what's your engine look like? What is, how are you getting leads? What are those leads looking like? And, you know, because a lot of them want me to throw just an SDR at something or let's have them cold call. Well, most of these, especially, you know, small businesses, their brand isn't known. They may think their brand is known, but their brand is not known at all. And with the whole credibility piece of saying, we've got a lot of digital right now. So how do we know this, that they can perform what they say they can perform, right? So there's that entire credibility piece that sales teams are always going up against, right? So Kleenex is to tissue. I talked about that all the time, right? People don't say, can I have a tissue? They say they have Kleenex and it's easier to sell a Kleenex than it is to sell a tissue, right? And so I, I have always wondered 
why there was the adversarial role between like a VP of sales and a, a marketer, you know, they would become best friends. Then the marketers also get feedback on what the conversations are for the journey of the entire customer, right? Mm-hmm. So we talk about the customer experience in its entirety. They, frustrations that occur by, from customers, right? You don't hear all of that with only a heat map, right? You hear Absolutely. it Absolutely. with them telling you certain things. And so you need that well-rounded kind of situation in order to service in B2B. Now I'm not talking e-commerce, I'm talking about B2B sales, but yeah, I've always missed, I've always misunderstood that. I, I mean, I've always I don't understand why people don't understand that. It just I makes mean, sense. I mean, I, I have, a, I completely agree. It makes sense. I have a clue why it's happening. And I think sometimes it's, uh, it's just easy to hide behind vanity metrics or actions that you took versus the results that came out of them. And um, sometimes you're, you know, as a VP of marketing, you're under pressure. You think that you have to generate these leads, but what are these leads? These leads are sometimes useless. You generated a thousand leads that none of them are looking to buy anything and you're handed over all those thousand leads now to sales and they took the time, picked up the phone, called them, got hung up on like 998 times. And so they're now don't believe that the leads are worth anything. And now that's where the, the mistrust starts to build up. No one wants to take responsibility on it. But if you have an environment of trust and you understand it's going to take a moment and you work together, you know, on the same table, one next to the other versus one against the other, and you say, hey, these are the people I'm going to go after. These are the companies I'm going to go after. This is the message. I'm going to run this. I'm going to run this through. What do you think? You get the feedback loop. Now you're working on those things together. Again, it's cliche, but it's totally true. You work on these things together. Both of you have ownership in it. Very likely that it's going to be successful. And if it's not successful, both of you are going to own what to do next so that you can make it successful and do that cycle over and over until magic happens. Yeah. And... You just said also, uh, gosh, you were saying so many good things. You you said, oh, I'm to it now. <laughs> and don't have an attention span of a nap, right? It, it takes a certain amount of time. And you both understand that it takes a certain amount of time, you know, and and as long as you're kind of constantly measuring that time in small bites, then, then you're fine. So yeah, you, you kind of said, and you know, it, you have that understanding. It's not overnight. Mm-hmm. I get people who come to me all the time and they're like, we're in triage mode. And it's like, yeah, but it takes time. So you're, you, there's not a quick fix always in, in that, that process that you talked about. Right. And, and so Gil, that that's amazing. So let me ask you a few other questions. And most of the people really love to hear this part. What do you like to do in your spare time? I already mentioned a few of those things, but what are you passionate about? What do you like to do? I love to do a lot of things. I love life. Um, what do I like to do? I love spending time with family. I really love my wife and kids. They give me so much happiness. Uh, that's a big piece. I really like to do. It's true. It's, it's true. Like being a dad has been amazing. So that's one. Uh, I really like traveling. Uh, I, I yeah. love going to countries. You know, I love eating spicy food and then having diarrhea for a week. Uh, but <laughs> nonetheless, like exper- experimenting with new foods and, and new cultures. 
I, I really like uh, exploring the mysteries of life. And by that, I mean doing psychedelics and figuring out what else is, is unknown and uh, exploring myself as well as other areas of life. Um, I love personal growth. I'm really excited about personal growth. I think this is why we're here on this planet, partially to kind of correct our soul and grow. And uh, such, such a hippie comment right there. But uh, <laughs> I really think that that's part of it. And I really enjoy that. Yeah, I, I you know still like listening to music, dancing, all of the stuff that usually humans uh, like to do. I like that as well. <laughs> well, I, I, I know humans that don't like to dance. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that offline, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's really fun. Um, so kind of exciting stuff that you're involved with. So where can people get a hold of you? I, uh, learn more about metadata.io to, you know, to just have a good time. I'm not going to say psychedelics. Hey, you could, I'm trying to normalize it. Uh, my email is gil at metadata.io. It's very simple. I'm always happy to talk to entrepreneurs, founders, leaders. Uh, these are my people. So always love, love doing that. Um, yeah. Or if you're happy to be in Miami or Santiago, uh, in the Dominican Republic, then we can grab a beer. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, this has been a, a fantastic episode with Gil Alouche. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you like it, share it, comment, all of those wonderful things. And yeah, thank you so much, Gil, for being on the show. Thank you, Valerie. Thank you all for joining another great episode. For show notes, links, and resources, visit revenuemaze.com. And never forget, you are why. 